0: When we hear the term food insecurity, a part of us recognizes that it's not referring to security in the traditional sense. Here, security has to do with having enough to eat. And there are parts of the world today where the problem is acute. Unfortunately, with rising populations and uncertainty around global warming, the problem of food insecurity will only get worse. That is, if we continue to do nothing the issue of food insecurity, well, it affects even working families. For example, in Mississauga, Ontario, which is just south of Toronto, the food bank there has reported 60% growth in demand over the last year alone. These are people with stable incomes who are having to stretch their money to cover the rising costs of food. Fortunately, one of the promising solutions is within the Internet of Things. It's called precision farming because it uses ag tech devices in the field and machine learning and AI in the background to produce higher yields and more efficiency. Unfortunately, as with other areas of IoT, the security in this new field is desperately lacking. Here, an attack could literally result in people starving, people dying, and it deserves much more attention than it's getting today. This is the story of the intersection of precision agriculture with traditional information security. I'm Robert Fimosi. You're listening to Error Code.
1: My name is Seth Hardy and I am a co-founder and CTO of Bugmars, which is a precision ag tech company making software for insect farms.
0: Precision agriculture is defined by one source as the science of improving crop yields. We're going to get into etymology, the study of insects and their relationships to humans. But I promise, this will be a story about the Internet of Things. Seth is also a security expert.
1: So I have more than 20 years of experience in security, and so this is a, a pretty recent pivot for me. So uh, my security background isn't my main focus in what I'm doing now. I'm 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 building a product. I'm writing software. I'm writing firmware. I'm designing systems, um, but I, I can't get that out of my head. Um, I just happen to find security problems and everything else I look at. So knowing that this might take 10% more work, but will make things safe and save my ass down the road, then I just, I do that without thinking. And so it's it's baked into everything that I do.
0: While we're going to talk about crickets in particular, this security could be applied across a broad range of other creatures as well. So how did Seth pivot from security to full-time ag tech?
1: Uh, so I've been always in the back of my mind saying security industry is rough uh it's there's uh there's a lot of problems for the sake of problems as opposed to actually trying to improve the overall state of things and i i've been wanting the older i get the more i want to leave the world a better place than i found it and just never really had an idea of something to do and it was uh you know, a year into the pandemic when I uh, got laid off from my job because everything was slowing down and changing. And it just came up in conversation uh, with uh, my co-founder. She had the experience farming crickets and looked into it, uh, talking about how do we do long-term sustainable things like food production? How do we, she has background in raising crickets and had problems with colony collapses. And I started making jokes about, hey, we could use machine learning and AI and uh, did a little bit of looking into it. And it turns out that that's actually a thing.
0: More and more technology is being used in how we produce food. And we have good reason for this.
1: Current farming is unsustainable. Uh, The UN uh, Food and Agriculture Organization Uh, has said that we're gonna need 70% more protein to feed the almost 10 billion people we're gonna have in 2050. And we need to do this without more cropland because right now cropland is decreasing mostly because of population growth. So
2: we need tech solutions to do it.
0: Here's the Food and Agriculture Organization of the
2: United Nations. Despite hopes the world would emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic and food security would begin to improve, World hunger rose further in 2021. The prevalence of undernourishment jumped from 8% in 2019 to 9.8% in 2021. New figures estimate as many as 828 million people around the world faced hunger in 2021. This represents an increase of 150 million more people facing hunger in 2021, compared to 2019, the year before the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Projections suggest nearly 670 million people, or 8% of the world's population, will be facing hunger in 2030, which is the same projection from 2015.
0: At the time of this podcast, there are officially 8 billion people on Earth, and we will need to feed each and every one of them. One of the problems with meat-based diets is that you need land for the crops to feed the livestock, which, also needs land. Then there are other things, such as the methane gas produced by the livestock and so forth. All in all, this starts to sound pretty unsustainable.
1: And so there are tons of new ag tech companies that are starting up. Um, there are a bunch in Ontario, uh, in all over Canada, the United States, all over the world. And this is becoming, uh, with climate tech uh, on the rise, even with the current investment landscape getting more bleak, because of the overall economy, um, this is looking like it is on the rise, and the talk started because in all of the all of the other companies I looked at, uh, looking at members of cohorts of accelerator programs we were in, uh, programs we were applying to, uh, nobody has security on staff. That's that scared the crap out of me, and so I began to
0: wonder how many other people are thinking this way. Is Seth alone in the security industry for precision farming?
1: Um, I haven't met anybody else who's doing it directly. Like there are a lot of people who are anybody who's working and trying to get IoT devices secured is is in this space. Anybody who is trying to work on the new field of ML SecOps is is working in this space. Um, but I don't know of any other folks who do specifically security, specifically for iTech.
0: Sector is the largest security conference in Canada, and it's definitely one of the better security conferences in the world, in my opinion, in part because they think outside the box, and they include talks such as the one that Seth gave.
1: Originally, my Sector talk was going to be some specifics of things that I've seen, and I didn't want to I didn't wanna call anybody out because it's really bad. And these are companies that I wanna see succeed and not destroyed because they are actually trying to address this food insecurity problem and make the world a better place. The presentation, it was about 70 slides of mostly pictures because um, it started off as like a deep dive technical talk, analysis of one system and the flaws. And it just turned into this creeping horror of, oh no. Oh, oh no. So um, a lot of it was the setup of why is this an issue? Like, why can't people just go back to their regular tractors and do their thing? And the answer is we're, we're gonna starve if that's the way that that we continue to do food production. So I, I like to joke like, you know, why should people care about this? Like, are you a person that likes to eat food in order to not starve? You should probably care about this. Um, so it it was a lot of talk about setting up that p- problem and then the logical, and so we are using technology for it, except, oh, look, IoT. And then there was like a brief part about the the really interesting stuff, which is the machine learning security and operations, um, and that's the future problem. But the baseline is just so bad that it was more of a, a waving my arms and saying, Somebody, anybody, please pay attention to this.
0: So in order to scale precision farming, we need to address some lingering IoT security issues. Unfortunately, there are many.
1: Yeah, and so the last place I worked um, before before moving into this was at a place that did IoT security. And the numbers from back then were like 4% of IoT devices have security. And so I did some look to see how it's faring these days. Um, So my talk ended up being part high-level overview, part stand-up comedy routine, part uh, life in pictures of how bad it is, because um, I have a kind of dark sense of humor that I use to, to cope with things when they're bad. So IoT security was one of them.
0: Unfortunately, the negativity is warranted. I've been talking about the dangers from unprotected IoT devices for more than a decade now. And yeah, I get kind of cynical about it as well. And when you see something like the Mirai botnet, which was based entirely on thousands of unprotected IoT devices, you just want to shrug and say, well, yeah, I told you so. But then you either continue to fight it or you leave.
1: One of the reasons why I wanted to get out of security leadership is if you're doing your job properly, nobody notices a thing. And you get, you know, if you if you do something wrong, you get fired. If you do something right, people complain you're not doing anything, and maybe you get fired. And it's like, you know, the, the role of a CISO is basically just musical chairs, wait for the inevitable breach. They point at you, you get fired, you collect your severance, and then you trade positions with somebody else who had a similar experience, and life carries on. Um, that's the way that security is usually. Like it's getting better, but it's still kind of viewed that way in general. And until there is a major breach that causes a average person on the street can feel the effects of it, it it's it's gonna be a hard thing to talk about, it's gonna be a hard thing to sell, and it's you're you're not going to see security folks at all of these companies until until you start having policy generating incidents.
0: There's some gallows humor in information security that says you won't see a change in IT security practices until someone dies. Well, that's not true, of course. But it calls out the fact that companies tend to be complacent until something rises to the level of liability or government regulation. And even then, we don't often see a whole lot of change. So Seth felt like he couldn't make a change in IoT and left.
1: When I left that world, I was starting to work with uh, UL's IoT certification program. Mm -hmm. And it was announced in January 2020, and they had five different rating levels. And it was meant to be this big thing. It was announced at CES.
0: I remember the UL Lab announcement. They were going to be testing IoT products and awarding these products basically a good housekeeping seal of approval-like certification. It would help consumers and organizations alike when they evaluate the relative security of each product. It hasn't, however, gotten much traction.
1: I looked at that and found that there's like maybe eight devices or a family of devices that have been certified in the last almost three years. Um, and they have more certifications on uh, how much liquid adult diapers can hold for their products than for IoT security.
0: The UL Labs certification continues, albeit not at the pace of testing adult diapers. So, Seth turned his attention to climate change, and to agricultural technology in particular. He started researching ways to create new sources of protein beyond beef. He discovered that machine learning and artificial intelligence is very good with rather tedious tasks, tasks that can make or break some agricultural practices.
1: The two main things are IoT, as, as you pointed out, but the new one that's that's super interesting is uh, computer vision and machine learning are being used in a lot of these new applications, whether it's, you know, there's one company that uses computer vision to look for cracked eggs uh, at poultry farms. There's a company that uses autonomous robots to pick fruit uh, or to pick grapes in vineyards And so computer vision and the associated machine learning, that is a a whole new world of security problems that we haven't really started looking at yet. And that's going to be the future of all the security issues. And the IoT stuff is, um, I want to say, the past, but also the present.
0: Okay. at first cricket farms sounded weird, but ground up cricket protein, it's not gross and it's certainly sustainable. Well, except if you live in Canada.
1: Cricket farms aren't scalable right now, especially in colder climates. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're in Thailand, you can just dig a ditch and raise crickets in a ditch and that, that works. Uh, in Canada, North America, not so much. So we're building software that uses computer vision and machine learning to reduce labor and increase yield. Uh, we're, we're trying to replace soy so right now, soy is like $600 per metric ton, and cricket meal is like, what was it? It's in the thousands of dollars. Mm. So we're trying to, to build technology that will make cricket protein powder cheaper, more affordable, and easier to manufacture to reduce our reliance on soy.
0: I guess when I think of food insecurity, I think of food production problems. I think of milk being tainted in some ways. And it doesn't necessarily start at the farm. But it's somewhere in the processing plant and somewhere in the delivery. Seth is focusing more on the source.
1: It's like if you look at soy production, so like 80, 85 percent of soy goes to livestock feed and soy production is going down uh, because of droughts, because of wildfires, uh, because of over farming the land. And as a result, the prices are going up mm-hmm. uh, Ontario is losing more than 300 acres of farmland a day on average because of suburban sprawl. Um, Last year, Manitoba had a, no, I think it was like a 24 or 27% decrease in soy production. And this was even though they increased the amount of farmland by 14% in that year. So because our population is going up, because people are moving to urban centers that require more fuel costs of trucking in food. And because more people are coming to be a part of the quote unquote modern world means they're eating more meat. Um, our our requirements for food are going up and our capability for producing it is going down. So all of that supply chain stuff afterwards is absolutely an issue as well. Um, I'm I I'm looking at uh, the technologies that we're using to try to be able to keep up with demand.
0: So these start to sound like some of the same problems that we've seen before, just in a brand new industry.
1: Yeah, well, on the IoT side for sure. So there are a number of uh, good programs and guidelines that give you che- full checklists. Um, NIST has one. The European equivalent has one. UL has one. That's not marketing. Um, there's IOXT, which uh, you know the, the joke is IoT, the S stands for security. Um, so they're IOXT, where X stands for security. ARM platform security architecture is another really good framework for doing it. Um, the problem is the fragmented ecosystem between chip manufacturers and firmware, middleware type stuff um, There's a small set of things that all IoT devices can do in order to be secure and just nobody's doing them.
0: Like basic encryption and data communications and storage. That's often where IoT fails, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like relying on strong encryption, um, but not just, hey, we're using an algorithm with a big enough key size, um, having access to a secure random number generator that's cryptographically secure. Or uh, going one step further and having devices uh, have the the microcontroller or microprocessor have unique identities and keys burned into them in a secure enclave. Um, so modern modern systems um, like ARM Trust Zone, for example, the the controller has a secure world uh, that you can't just get to from uh, the user space. So if you've got an encryption key. Uh, if you have like a dumb old microcontroller, you can hook up uh, like uh, a voltmeter or something to it and measure the power usage. And when you're doing public key cryptography, uh, you're working with big numbers and to, to do exponentiation, there's like a square multiply. So you can watch the power and every time there's a spike, that's a one. And when there's not, it's a zero and you can pull the keys out of it that way. Uh, modern chips have a secure enclave that stores the keys, has hardware protections to block against attacks like that, and they don't even let you access the key material yourself. You you call a secure API call that says do an encrypt for me, and it just does it for you, and you never, you literally can never access those keys.
0: One of my favorite IoT protocols is MQTT. It's a lightweight protocol designed for communications with devices in remote locations that have resource constraints or limited network bandwidth. It was first designed in 1999. It was resurrected in 2013, and although it has since been maintained, there still are basic configurations of the protocol that can hinder it in the IoT world.
1: Yeah, so uh, like MQTT is a very common protocol for IoT devices, um, are you doing it over a secure channel? Probably not, hopefully. Um, so relying on um, strong embedded crypto libraries like embed TLS is an example. And then doing your control plane, data plane separation and making sure that everything is always encrypted no matter what is, is one of those requirements.
0: So Seth's company is building remote monitors for the cricket colonies.
1: We're in a pilot phase right now. Uh, you can actually see behind me. Um, that's that's the edge device that we're running on. Some cameras. I've got uh, our environmental sensors here. Um, so basically, I've designed the architecture of it to... Uh, like the IOT devices all use encrypted channels, all use authentication. The edge device talks to devices over secure channels, talks to the cloud over a secure channel. Um, so we're using all of those design principles to 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 build it secure from the ground up.
0: And these sensors include computer vision. And on the back end, there's also machine learning.
1: Uh, so in our case, we're trying to Optimize conditions in cricket rearing habitats. And so, some people, like at Sector, people would ask what I do, and I'd say, I, I build technology for insect farms. And like I had one person walk away from me because she thought I was just making stuff up and messing with her. Um, so, the idea is um, it's, it's much like other precision agriculture uh, systems. We have cameras pointed into the enclosures that can track. The individual crickets. Um, if, they, if they're, say, beetles, if beetles get into the enclosures, that's bad. They could eat the crickets or cause nastiness. So it identifies the beetles and sends the farm operator an alert, go mm. clean out this bin. Or if a cricket is diseased and is walking funny or oozing silver liquid, as they do when they're sick sometimes, it would send an alert. On the environmental sensor side, The growth patterns of crickets are very temperature sensitive. So if you raise it from like 28 to 30 degrees, you might get this much increase in your crop yield. Um, So monitoring conditions and doing closed loop control. So saying like, oh, hey, the temperature dipped Uh, We know that we need to bring that up. We need to bring up the the humidity. We need to change the light levels or the light uh, cycles, uh, any of those things, in order to optimize the rearing conditions.
0: So Toronto is perhaps the southernmost big city in Canada. I mean, it's on a similar latitude to Boston, and it's actually further south than Seattle. Yet its climate is not conducive to cricket habitats. Certainly not as amenable as Thailand, for example. So these cricket farms, they would have to be housed in buildings or even within cargo containers.
1: We wanted to start with actual insect farms and do retrofits in the buildings that they have. Uh, Turns out there aren't that many of them, and they often go out of business when they try to scale. So we are now moving towards uh, fully automated systems in shipping containers. Um, So all of the the racks of bins and the sensors and you've got like an iPad app that gives you a checklist of your tasks and also gives you health monitoring and, and live feeds of things.
0: So this starts to sound like your basic computer network where you've got a SIM that ingests feeds from all the sensors and then alarms that inform you when things go awry. Ideally, you want to design it so that things don't go awry. But this brave new world is new territory for security, especially with regard to the machine learning. I mean, don't you need some expertise in machine learning in order to handle the security of it?
1: Uh, so this is this is where it gets so interesting with machine learning. So my, my background isn't in machine learning, it's in security. Um, but it's become a lot more accessible to people like me who only kind of know what they're doing and know enough to get into trouble. Um, somebody said to me, like, even five years ago, uh, you would need somebody with a PhD and a lot of background in this sort of stuff. Now you can get an undergrad who's done a few classes and they'll give you equivalent work because the, the tools uh, have, have improved. So uh, what we do is we take a, all of the video feeds from crickets in their environments and use those to train machine learning uh, for computer vision object detection and use that to do identification of like, is this cricket male or female? Is it adult? Is it not adult? Is it showing a sign of disease or is it a beetle? And to do that, we just collect all of the data and train a object detection algorithm uh, like Yolo V5 in order to do it. Um, to do it for other applications, you do the same thing just with a, a different data set to train on and you'll be able to identify things with different levels of confidence.
0: Machine learning is distinct from artificial intelligence. I like to think of artificial intelligence as the higher level autonomous system that we've been expecting. While machine learning is a subset, it builds models based on data to help it learn. It is often focused on specific tasks, whereas AI is much broader and able to do, well, just about anything. So we're spinning up our understanding of what is machine learning, and there aren't that many out there who are also spinning up an understanding of the security required for machine learning.
1: Yeah, the the problem is with the machine learning model generation deployment and attacks against the model. Um, so one, one thing i mentioned in my talk was if you look at, like you do a Google search for DevOps, you get many millions of results for DevOps. Everybody knows what it is. If you search for DevOps, you get many millions, but not as many millions. People are understanding what that is. If you search for MLOps, you get considerably fewer, like 3 million results instead of 50 million results. And if you search for ML ops, you get like 3,000 results.
0: Yet there are plenty of companies today who will help you get started in machine learning.
1: Right now, there are companies that do commercial turnkey solutions for model generation and deployment. Um, that's your core IP if you're doing this type of business. So you don't want people to to steal your models, but you also don't want people to put bad dat- bad data into them or test to see uh, what you can do in order to find edge cases where things are broken. Tainting
0: ML models. This is a raw field for hackers to investigate.
1: Like there's an example of an adversarial attack against. A computer vision machine learning model like this, where you start with uh, an image of like a hamster that scores very high confidence that this is a hamster. And then you find a single pixel somewhere in the image and you change it ever so slightly. And it's like, okay, you're taking it a fraction of a percent away from hamster and a fraction of a percent towards golf cart, I think the example was. And then you just keep on doing this again and again and again over millions and millions of iterations and you get something in the end that to the human eye still looks like a hamster but your machine learning model identifies it as a golf cart in in, in this case maybe that's not a problem
0: seth does have an example where this type of manipulation can have real world consequences
1: if you're doing it with say like live stream video and a tesla that could be a problem Um, Or finding edge cases, like the the common example of uh, this made a big deal. Somebody parked a Tesla and then drew a ring with dashed lines. So it identified that as a uh, you can't cross from this side, but you can cross from that side line division marker. And it was basically like a summoning circle to, to hold this autonomous vehicle in place because they knew the rules of the system and how to manipulate them and exploit them.
0: I could see the summoning circle as kind of a low-effort student MIT prank. But Seth has thought about the next level of attacks that we might see, particularly attacks against precision agriculture.
1: So these are dumb, like, haha, funny, whatever kind of stories. But if you want to move into ones that are interesting that are, are not there yet, so precision agriculture... Um, You know, smart farms are lots of sensors and monitoring. Precision agriculture is usually called that because it relies on very precise values for optimizing conditions. So say you're growing crickets and they do really well at 29 degrees Celsius and their growth rate is maybe a quarter of that at 26 degrees Celsius.
0: What Seth is alluding to is the idea that we don't always have an immediate result from an attack, that the result of an attack months ago can perhaps be even more devastating down the road.
1: If you've got an autonomous pesticide sprayer that's supposed to give one unit of poison per acre, and it just quietly starts putting out 100 units of poison per acre, that's that's a problem.
0: The thing is, we've seen this type of slow release attack already in use in the information security space.
1: Uh, There was this uh, well-known program a while back uh, that resulted in Stuxnet and an attack against centrifuges Mm -hmm. where they just changed things a little bit and used small changes and questions about accuracy of readings and operator fatigue and eventually destroyed a whole bunch of uranium-enriching centrifuges. Now imagine that on a facility that grows crickets and you don't notice until it's a little too late and maybe your crop has been reduced down to a quarter of what it usually is and you're relying on that food to feed people. That That could be a problem.
0: There's always room for the more immediate attack. And in some ways with IOT, we might be making it much easier without realizing it.
1: But John Deere is pretty big. And they, you know, they just relatively recently announced that they want to be fully autonomous by 2030. Um, They've got a lot of money going into this sort of thing. So the precision stuff... um, yeah, it's it's going to be probably case by case because there's no standards. Okay. Um, but at the same time, they're all using commodity IOT stuff that has no security anyways. Uh, like John Deere tractors have like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the story at the beginning of the war where Russia tried to steal all the tractors from John Deere in Ukraine. And so John Deere just hit the button and bricked them all. Mm-hmm. That means there's a button at John Deere HQ probably somebody's home over a VPN, hopefully over a VPN, that will brick agricultural equipment. What happens if one day somebody hits that button for all tractors located in the United States? What happens next? Um, so these these are the, the more interesting stories that, um, like, I don't want to just be the doom and gloom and FUD peddler, but we're going to see these things, especially if uh, things keep moving in the direction that they're moving in and nation state level conflicts tend to get worse, but less kinetic. Um, So I I think it's going to be a bit of both and depends on um, the, the, the tactics of the attacker. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, Russia, China, Iran, all of the the well-known Apt players are watching the development of the technology and quietly just sitting on it so that later on, if it does grow, then then they can take action.
0: Seth raises a good point. Given these precision agriculture devices are built on existing IOT, bad actors, could certainly be lying in wait for a reason to attack. Then again, we'll always have the problem of attribution. So there's a kinetic action, which you can say, well, someone bombed your country. But it's not so clean when it comes to an internet attribution and somebody screwed up your crop yields.
1: Again, I don't know how this is going to go. Maybe it'll be easier to just drop bombs on power stations or... Um, I, don't,
0: I don't know if you remember Cybersquirrel 1. Ah, uh, yes, Cyber squirrel 1. If you want to know more, go to Cybersquirrel 1, that's numeral1.com, to learn about the infrastructure attacks in North America that at first seemed like elite hackers had taken down a power grid or knocked out a water supply station in other parts of the infrastructure, only to find out later that it was a squirrel that had gnawed through the wrong cable
1: you know, maybe this is going to be negligible compared to the number of squirrels that chew through wires or birds that fly into radio towers, but it's the sort of thing where food insecurity is already a problem and it's going to get significantly worse over the next few decades. And even if you're not hitting every single system, uh, weaponizing this by making people afraid of being hungry uh is is a pretty powerful tactic so with the
0: definition of agriculture 4.0 does that go beyond the source does it continue through the supply chain for example and maybe all the way to the market
1: i don't think anybody's really thought that far yet um i'm like yes yes but uh uh, my house is on fire, so maybe I'm gonna try to think about that before figuring out which direction the wind is blowing in. Um, I, I I don't have a good answer to that, but yeah, right. there's it's it's a problem, but it's uh, our house is on fire right now. So again, let's look at what the
0: bad actors might be able to do in this space. Seth has already identified a few
1: uh, in terms of creative new stuff. Um, I think it's all in the ML SecOps area. Um, All the old stuff still applies, though.
0: Old stuff. It seems that these systems are just as fragile as the early Internet. It means that we could possibly see a denial-of-service attack on a farm, for example. Or ransomware that is being used on gas pipelines and financial services today could cripple the food industry in devastating ways tomorrow.
1: If you are a farmer... Um, you're like as time goes on farmers are getting younger and getting more technologically aware but many farmers are still people who have been doing it for many decades it's a family business and if you're a farmer and you get an email that says hey click on this link like it's it's done and that's like there's like we can talk about like pixel by pixel adversarial attacks. We can talk about poisoning uh, training data for for machine learning things to detect uh, an error, or you can just go to somebody's farm when they're not, you know, when they're out plowing their field and kick down their door and steal their stuff. Like that'll damage their business just as much. Um, You can send them an email that says, click on this link, it's totally legit, I swear. And then sit on it for a bit, and then ransomware everything that they have, and then, you know, that ransomware attack that would shut down a hospital that everybody cares about and makes the news, it might shut down a farm and cause them to lose their crop. Will that, will that make the same sort of headlines? I think eventually it will, um, but I hope, I hope it's not co- as common as it is right now with ransomware everywhere else.
0: So I'm just gonna think aloud on this. If a single farm is shut down due to ransomware or a pesticide overdose. I'm thinking that the agriculture industry can absorb a few of these losses. I mean, there can be crop failures due to drought, fire, or mismanagement. And the market, well, it seems to correct for that somehow.
1: Um. So I'm, I'm still learning a lot about agriculture and how it's set up. Um, in some cases, yeah, like if you like shut down a small family-owned farm business. Uh, that's gonna be a lot of problems for them, but not necessarily the feeding everybody thing. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of aspects of agriculture are centrally managed, uh, whether like uh, quota systems or like, look at Tyson Foods. Um, they use land almost twice the size of New Jersey to feed their livestock every year. So uh, this this is, I guess, where the supply chain attacks come from. You know, if you're if you're raising chickens for like broilers for food, um, and you don't get any feed for them anymore, then your chickens aren't going to make it. And the uh, if the if the feed is centrally controlled, if uh, there are associations that Uh, manage all of that sort of stuff um, that gives bigger choke points for larger amounts of damage. Um, It's, it's, it is decentralized, but it's not decentralized in a lot of ways.
0: Given the cynicism and some of the negativity and some of the humor here, are there any bright things that Seth can point to?
1: Uh, People are starting to care about it. Um, We're in a, we're, we're going into a pretty bad economic downturn right now but climate tech uh is something that has a lot of focus uh organizations and governments are starting to understand that this is a problem this is going to be a problem soon and we can't all afford to fly our private jet to our bunker in new zealand and uh, live out the end of days there so we are starting to address it and a lot of money is going into funding tech solutions to try to improve this, and some of them are making really incredible gains. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff out there.
0: So we've identified some of the negative things that can come from attacks on precision farming. So let's talk about some of the positive things. I mean, like Seth, I really want some of this to succeed. The world's food supply, it actually depends on it.
1: You no know, wealth simple robo advisor investing company. So they they do like a, a weekly financial market news newsletter and they have this axis of like to the moon versus crash and burn and like who cares versus everybody cares. And one of the things that they had on it was it's great, but who cares is a company that is doing facial recognition software for cows to tell you how your cows are doing.
0: So right there, maybe the average investor might not see the value in that, but certain governments do.
1: And the government of Canada funded them a whole bunch of money. And Alberta is funding a whole lot of money into this sort of thing. Um, Similar initiatives are happening in the United States. Um, Like our company is working with uh, some researchers at the United States Department of Agriculture uh, on cricket farming techniques.
0: So this is serious, then, if the governments of Canada in the United States are starting to invest in this research
1: people are really starting to care about this. People are starting to put money into it. And um, you might roll your eyes at facial recognition for cows right now, but if it means that you can actually raise cows in more humane environments, have it be cheaper, have it be healthier for you, better for the animal, um, we're making a lot of really good progress using technology in these areas.
0: Unfortunately, most of the investment is in technology, and not really in the security of that technology.
1: Having to have the same security talks again and again and again, um, I hope that people start considering security in these applications before it becomes life-threatening or becomes part of critical infrastructure. Like if we we have the tools to do better. We just have to make the conscious effort to do better. and i'm I'm hopeful, but each year goes on, and it's 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 hard to watch. So i I hope th- thank you for for being interested in this and talking about it. I'm hoping that getting this word out, you know I, I don't like to be too dark, but starvation is a pretty motivating factor. So hopefully, people realize like just how bad this could be and maybe use that to start to pay a little bit more attention to it.
0: I'd like to thank Seth Hardy for opening my eyes to precision farming and the security risks associated with it, which really aren't that different from IoT difficulties and security problems we've identified elsewhere. Uh, Hey, I'm just getting started with error code. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon or at robertvamosi on Twitter. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. Some great episodes coming up that deal with the Vostamo data breach and the world of IoT and medical devices. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. I don't want you to miss out.